TechBiter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 428 for February 1st, 2015. This week, we're seeing an increased number of browsers, but all of them are based on just a few rendering engines. One of the new browsers that's receiving a lot of attention is Aviator. We'll take it for a test flight. In short circuits, fantasy football and the Super Bowl, high tech used by craft brewers, a birthday for one of the first killer apps, and the FTC continues to take aim at unlimited plans that have limits. And on the website only, Spare Parts has the story of the International Spy Museum, a desktop computer that's not much larger than a notebook, prizes for drones in Dubai, and students say schools are failing when it comes to high tech. Let's start with taming the onslaught of browsers. Now, Onslaught might be overstating the case just a little. The attack isn't destructive after all, but it certainly seems fierce. I've received questions about whether this browser or that browser would be better or safer or faster. Invariably, the answer is maybe. But it's important to remember that all browsers are built on just a few rendering engines. There's Gecko, which powers Mozilla Firefox and certain other browsers. Trident, that's Microsoft's Internet Explorer, and a few others. WebKit powers Apple's Safari, Chromium, and Google Chrome. It is a fork of KDE's KHTML by Apple. And there's Blink, which powers Chrome, Chromium, Opera, and several others. It is a fork of WebKit created by Google in 2013, so Blink is a fork of a fork. Originally, Opera had its own rendering engine called Presto, but then the developers dabbled with WebKit and finally moved to Google's Blink. Dozens of browsers exist. Take a look at the Wikipedia webpage that lists them. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website that'll take you to Wikipedia. And fork in software development means essentially what you probably think it means. Development is divided into two separate branches, each of which goes its own way. This is common in open-source software. You'll see part of a Linux diagram on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and it is often considered not to be a good thing because it leads to wasted effort as each fork creates similar processes. The splitting leads to confusion, and there's a lot of silly infighting and arguments over who has the rights to what. This may be one of the main reasons that Linux has generally not succeeded in the marketplace. As of December, Chrome was the most popular browser by far. Ten years ago, Microsoft's Internet Explorer had 75% of the market. Firefox was released and quickly grabbed a quarter of the market share. Netscape dropped from 1% to about half a percent, and Opera ranged from 1% to 2%. Today, Chrome has more than 60% of the market, Firefox about 24%, Safari, which is available only on Macs, has a little less than 4%. Internet Explorer has dropped to 8%, and Opera continues to stick around 2%. Now, the source for that is log files collected by the W3 Schools. W3 Schools is a website for people with an interest in web technologies. 
These are people who are more interested in using alternative browsers than the average user. The average user, however, tends to use the browser that comes pre-installed with their computer instead of seeking out browser alternatives. StatCounter, which reports information about a broader spectrum of users, and by the way, TechBiter Worldwide participates in StatCounter results, that source shows results that are, surprisingly, not substantially different from the results from W3 schools. Well, let's take a little look at browsers that are based on Chrome. Chrome generally receives high marks for safety, security, and speed. So why would you want to use a Chrome-based browser that isn't Chrome? Well, Chrome has a big library of extensions that add numerous features, but developers can modify the browser's operation by working directly with the open-source code that powers Chrome. The browsers that are based on Chrome aren't just Chrome knockoffs. Invariably, developers have something specific in mind when they open the hood and start modifying the code. A few examples. Firewall and Internet security company Komodo has developed the Chrome-based Komodo Dragon. As you might expect, it touts the browser's security and privacy features. Users of Komodo Dragon can point the browser at Komodo's secure DNS servers, so websites that have been identified as malicious will be blocked automatically. The browser also includes a site inspector tool that can help you examine a site's inner workings. Many browsers now offer an incognito mode, and you can modify or disable the HTTP header that browsers send. The value of doing that is questionable because a website can provide a better experience if you allow the browser to identify itself. The header also includes HTTP referrers that tell a website where you came from. If you click a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website that takes you to another site, the referrer will disclose to that site where you came from. Komodo Dragon has an automatic update function, but if you're sufficiently paranoid, you can turn that off too. By the way, if you prefer Firefox, Komodo has you covered there with Ice Dragon. That's their browser based on Firefox. There's a Chrome-based browser called Cool Novo. The developers initially tried calling this one Chrome Plus, but that resulted in some legal problems. That really should have been foreseen, even though the developers are in China. Cool Novo adds some interface features such as mouse gestures and the ability to run Internet Explorer in a tab. These are features that users of Chrome can enable themselves with extensions. The browser also has a sidebar, and it provides more control over tab behavior. That's something that's given substandard treatment in Chrome itself. You may have heard of SRWare Iron. You'll probably want to avoid that one because it claims to be highly security conscious, but doesn't really follow through with actions. The developer is in Germany, and many Germans are suspicious of Google. Iron plays on those fears. The browser actually uses Google AdSense to generate income for the programmer. And there's nothing in Iron that can't be done with Chrome. Iron turns on privacy by default, but these controls are all readily available via Chrome's settings. Iron's initial start page includes Google advertisements. And if you visit the special Iron Extensions page, you'll see even more ads. If you want to examine extensions from the Chrome Web Store, well, sorry, you'll have to type that URL in yourself just to get there. And there's White Hat Aviator. This is a new Chrome-based browser that's been receiving a lot of attention lately. White Hat Security is located in Santa Clara, California, and the goal was to create a secure browser 
that doesn't require a degree in software engineering to use. It's available for both Windows computers and Macs. Browsers such as Internet Explorer and Chrome have close relationships with search engines. IE would like to direct you to Bing. Chrome wants you to use Google. Even Mozilla receives most of its income from Google-based advertising on Firefox. Other search engines exist. Some of them don't employ aggressive tracking. So because Aviator has received so much attention, we'll take a look at it in the next section. Here we go taking Aviator out for a test flight, but first listen to this quotation. You probably shouldn't be using White Hat Aviator browser if you're concerned about security and privacy. That's what Justin Shu wrote on his blog. Now it's important to note that Shu works for Google and that Aviator is somewhat antagonistic toward Google, the developer of Chromium on which the Chrome browser and Aviator are based. The overarching goal, according to White Hat, is putting consumers' needs first. And Aviator claims to do that by turning the Do Not Track option on by default, by blocking ads, and by turning the private browsing feature on unless you turn it off. Shu says that some of the code added to Chromium to create Aviator doesn't seem to have been written with a sufficient understanding of how Chrome works or with adequate regard for security. And he notes that the bulk of Aviator's enhancements are actually provided by the already popular Disconnect extension for Chrome. One of Aviator's security practices involves turning Flash off by default. Now, that's not a particularly bad idea, but potentially it does have a downside. TechBiter Worldwide uses Adobe Flash to play audio files and for the weekly podcast. Most browsers will allow these files to be played, but Aviator turns them off by default, so the user has to activate every Flash player on every web page. That's easy enough to do, but it could confuse the very people the browser is intended to help. Still, the overall benefit probably outweighs the negative because clicking a link that takes the browser to a rogue site can install malware. Aviator also removes ads by default so that pages that used to look cluttered with ads will be cleaner. I have to wonder, though, how successful that'll be in the long term Collectively, Internet users have refused to pay for content at any time from anyone. If content providers can't realize income from ads and consumers of the information refuse to pay for it, who's going to pay the journalists, the writers, the illustrators, and the editors who create that content? And instead of using Google or Bing, Aviator enables DuckDuckGo as its default search engine. DuckDuckGo emphasizes privacy by not profiling its users and by deliberately showing all users the same search results for a given search term. The developers in Paoli, Pennsylvania say the search engine emphasizes obtaining information from the very best sources rather than the best known sources. Instead of using a feature such as Google's page index, DuckDuckGo assembles search results from crowdsourced sites such as Wikipedia and from partnerships with other search engines like Yandex, Yahoo, Bing, Wolfram Alpha, and Yumly. 
I tried running a couple of searches, and you'll see some images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll notice that ads are served. Aviator also sets the incognito mode, which is called private browsing, for every URL, and it deletes search history when you close the browser. That can be a disadvantage, too, if, for example, you remember conducting a search and want to revisit the page, but can't recall the precise search terms you used. By default, Aviator does not autocomplete URLs when you're typing them. That's another feature I'd miss. Probably the most significant privacy feature Aviator offers is blocking systems that track your browser use. Examples of these include DoubleClick, Google Analytics, and Omniture. Other browsers have a Do Not Track function, but many websites ignore those instructions. Security and ease of use are always at odds with each other. The more stringent security is, the harder an application is to use in most cases, and the easier an application is to use, the less secure it often is. Balancing security and ease of use is always a challenge, and Aviator is intended for those who place premiums on security and privacy and who are willing to forfeit a bit of ease of use. Aviator won't save passwords by default, and there's a good reason for that. You should actually never allow any browser to save passwords. Using an application such as LastPass is a much better option for safely storing passwords. Security software firm CA Technology says that 84% of hacker attacks in 2009 took advantage of vulnerabilities in web browsers. Note that figure is six years old. The developers of Aviator say that Chrome is the most secure of the standard browsers, but they wanted to create hardened security and privacy settings that give hackers less to work with. In the good old days, only questionable websites contained ads that were infected with virus codes. But today, malvertisements, which are ads that install malware, have been found on hundreds of legitimate websites. As noted, Aviator blocks ads by default. Aviator's developers assume that all users will encounter viruses at some time, so they have attempted to create a browser that defends against them. Using Chrome's Sandbox functionality, Aviator can protect your data when the computer's antivirus software eventually misses something. The Settings page looks a lot like Chrome's Setup page. That's expected. If you don't like DuckDuckGo, the search engine option can be easily changed. You'll find that two extensions are installed by default, and if you want to add more, Aviator will simply take you to the Chrome Web Store. In short circuits, Sunday, February 1st, it's Super Bowl Xlix. Oh, wait, that's a Roman numeral. X-L-I-X. Oh, I get it. Saying Xlix probably isn't right. It's Super Bowl 49, featuring the New England Patriots and the Seattle Seahawks, one of which will go home with a 15-4 record, the other with a 14-5 record. There will be a bunch of commercials, but I won't see them. And this year, there's a Super Bowl fantasy football. See, there is a tech tie into this. Rivalry Fantasy Sports has an app. 
Available for Apple and Android devices, Rivalry Fantasy Sports will allow fans to compete for points or cash during Super Bowl XLIX, uh, Super Bowl 49. Earlier in the week, participants were able to start selecting their six-man teams. Rivalry Game says it makes fantasy football, basketball, and baseball accessible. What they mean is that the traditional fantasy leagues require that participants actually know something about the sport. Rivalry Games allows anyone to participate, even those who don't know that basketballs are oval and footballs are round. Or is it the other way around? It seems to me that real football teams have more than six players, too. But for the fantasy games, you got a thrower, a running guy, a couple of smashers, and a catcher guy. Oh, and a kicker? You can play for free, or you can pay something between a buck and a hundred bucks to play. The maximum number of people who can play in any tournament ranges from 10 to 100, and then there's some sort of payoff deal. So go ahead, download, play, and enjoy Super Bowl XLIX at 49. Ohio has more than 200 breweries. Columbus alone has nearly 20. Some are factories that turn out a yellow fizzy liquid by the truckload. Others bottle or can small batches of hoppy or pungent or dark beer. And yes, there is an app for that. Ecos, a North Carolina company, makes software for craft brewers. Their Brewmaster software is already in 150 craft breweries, and CEO Greg Forehand says they expect to be in about 400 breweries by the end of the year. What's wrong with a spreadsheet and logbooks? Well, Forehand says that the software communicates with Apple and Android apps that allow employees to perform tasks using a tablet or a mobile phone. The application is cloud-based. It's designed to assist with inventory, planning, production, and sales, and it integrates with QuickBooks, one of the more popular accounting systems for small businesses. So if you happen to be in the business of brewing craft beer and you'd like more information about the service, you'll find it on the Ecos Brewmaster website. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And cheers! According to the U.S. Census Bureau, on January 26, 1983, 32 years ago, Lotus 123 was released. Prior to Lotus 123, VisiCalc had been available for Apple II computers, and lots of managers found ways to put those little machines on their expense accounts so that they could use them in the office. Lotus 123 was the first killer application for IBM-compatible PCs. The Census Bureau notes that finance and accounting workers were freed from hunching over ledger books and switched to hunching over computer screens. Quite an improvement, wasn't it? The name 123 stemmed from the product's integration of three main capabilities, spreadsheet, charting and graphing, and rudimentary database operations. Today, there are over 8,600 software publishers in the U.S., and they employ more than 420,000 people, resulting in $170 billion worth of business per year. Well, that's the kind of information you'd expect from the Census Bureau, isn't it? The Bureau provides lots of information, and you can find out more. And yes, there is an app for that. 
Just download America's Economy mobile application at www.census.gov forward slash mobile. And yes, there's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website for that. Maybe your cellular provider offers an unlimited plan, but read the fine print and you'll learn that unlimited has some very definite limits, even though the providers go to great lengths to make them invisible. The largest provider of prepaid wireless plans in the U.S., TrackPhone, has agreed to pay $40 million to settle a suit filed by the Federal Trade Commission. The FTC says the TrackPhone advertised a $45 per month plan that offered unlimited data, but then intentionally reduced the speed of users' connections when they exceeded certain limits. If you have one of those plans, you can file for a refund on the FTC's website. TrackPhone's response has been, much like their service, highly limited. Last year, the FTC went after AT&T because it did not clearly state the limits of its unlimited plans. That case is still open. Perhaps the nation's CEOs and marketing directors could make use of a dictionary. Unlimited. According to the Merriam-Webster Unabridged Dictionary, unlimited means without any limits or restrictions, not limited in number or amount. That seems clear. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.